All right, you guys are in for a treat today. Something different than you're used to here on the show because I am bringing a plethora of speakers that have a couple of things in common. Of course, their faith in Jesus is the ultimate and that creates the synchronicity that has brought them now to this second thing that they have in common, which is sharing a stage. And you're likely a speaker in and of your own right and you have something inside of you that you wanna vocalize. And so all of these speakers are coming with an intention to equip, to serve, and to show up boldly so that you too can do the exact same thing in a place that is often, you know, different and a place that is often being shook when it comes to business and it comes to sharing our faith in business. It's ultimately a movement of mission-driven leaders founded in Christ and the conference is called the FounderCon. If you have yet to hear about this, maybe you've been hiding under a rock because it's been essentially three years in the making. It was originally called Grow Your Business for God's Sake and we are still doing the exact same thing now under the nonprofit The Founder Collective. So if you have a business or you raise your hand to having a ministry, either or, they're kind of the same, that's the ultimate business tree. We are calling all of these marketplace ministers, you included, community builders, content creators, pastors, managers, executives, movement makers, authors, speakers, entrepreneurs, to the table. And we are going to be sharing an incredibly intimate experience while also a virtual conference. So I say intimacy because intimacy comes in community and it comes in connection and depth and vulnerability, but it's going to be a party. Okay, y'all. I love a party. I love surprises. I love excitement. And so today, the plethora of people that you're going to hear from, they're going to tap into what exactly they're going to be sharing on stage. And I'm going to be kind of like a narrator, you know, Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson always plays the role of God uh, over top of movies. I do not sound like Samuel L. Jackson. I totally understand, but I'm going to narrate the process so you get to know a bit more about them and then you get to hear from them firsthand. So do not stop now. Just getting started by introducing you to some of this year's FounderCon speakers. They're going to bless you. They're going to equip you. They're coming from a lot of different lenses in order to teach you, but ultimately it's not about them just sharing their testimony. This is a movement conference. This is an action-taking conference. You are going to leave with yes, step one, yes, step two, and you're going to know how it's going to truly transform the lives of the people that you're connected to based on how you integrated it into your component of business, whatever that is, ministry, businessry, right? All right, we're all on the same page now, so let's get started. Oh, and before you wait any longer, seriously, pause right now. Go to www.thefoundercon.com. Don't forget the, the thefoundercon.com and get your ticket because it's going to go fast. We only have a reserved number of seats in the room. There'll be 200 in the room, 2000 online. Let's go. We've got MCs both for the virtual arena. And so you can get a virtual ticket too. If you can't join us in Raleigh, North Carolina, November 10th and 11th, 2023, we cannot wait for you to be there. Stay tuned for all the details and get to know the speakers right now. Are you deprived, perhaps discombobulated, maybe even distracted? You want more from life, from relationships, from God. Whether you're in a season searching for purpose or perhaps know your purpose but feeling lackluster or lost in the execution of it, this podcast was created for you. In fact, this isn't just a podcast, it's a movement, and we're on a mission to find the lost, welcome them in, and launch them into their greatest destiny, fully found in Him and founded on the rock. 
This is a table for a multitude of Marketplace ministers to come together for fresh revelation, resources, and revival. Get ready to catch the fire and live fully free, fully found. This is the Founder Collective. All right, Rudy Rick Scenes is up next, and I am so excited for you all to be empowered by him. And I'm saying empowered, not empowered, because that is the name of his podcast, The Empowered Life, alongside his beautiful bride, Aniston, who I hope will also be joining us at the conference. And he's going to be speaking as one of the opening keynotes. I'm so excited for him to take the stage because he has had some transformative meditation practices. And I know it sounds, whoa, whoa, don't go there. Stay focused. This is Jesus. This is spirit-led. It's mindset. It's mental health. It's the work in which we need to do with our head, our heart, our spiritual posture, all of that combined in order to unlock higher levels of leadership and achievement. And while we're not here to be achievers, we are here to do the Lord's work and to do it well. And so we all have goals and they're profound. And yet there are some ways and things that are constantly keeping us limited and in a small understanding of what we're fully capable of. And so it's an embracing of the power, an embracing of the authority. He's even done exercises for my child before a jujitsu tournament, which he got gold, multiple, in fact. And so I know that it works. I know that I know. And it, it probably is going to work best for us if we come with that childlike faith and expectation that we want to live an empowered life. So Rudy, we're so pumped to have you on stage, brother, and to just be a part of the experience. It's going to be epic. You guys, tune in. And I was like caught up in the ego of being so young, but being in charge of something so big. And one of the greatest lessons I've ever had in life was when the owner of the company came in, they never came in. And when they came in, they called an all you know company meeting and they sat all 60 people down. And then they put a chair in the front of the room with me in the front in that chair. And they said, today we're creating a safe space for everybody to tell Rudy how they feel about Rudy. And I sat there for around four hours and heard people talk about me, to me, about my experience or their experience of me in, in their life and in that business. And, and it was the most painful four hours of my life. I cried the whole way home. I cried that whole night. I did not want to go to work the next day, but it made me one of the greatest leaders because I wasn't showing up as a good leader. Not because I was a bad guy, but because I had all these insecurities that made me say my business, my decision, my meeting, not our meeting, our business, our goals. And it was those moments that became really, really defining and helped me show up as a very different version of myself. And so, yes, I do take those lessons and apply them when talking to my son who's eight or my daughter who's seven or whoever it is uh, as a company. But, you know, it, it speaks into beautifully how every one of these lessons that we have in life serve who we get to become. And that one four-hour moment was such a gift, not at the time, but in hindsight, again, because I get to teach that now and I get to recognize when people are in that space. Yeah, I think about being in that chair, right? And and I think about the leader who put you in that chair and I'm like, I don't know if that was the kindest thing to do right? or if that is what I would want or need. Um, but I, I, because I've taken stock in my life in the past, I am very conscious as a leader that I have to do this consistently because of the impact that we as humans have on other people connected to us, especially those that we're in co close proximity to like our family every single day. But I think what 
can make people an effective leader even more so is doing that head and heart work and evaluation. And then like this person gave you the opportunity is to not present your findings, but to receive their findings so that you have a better question to ask yourself in private. And I think when I say that, I mean it in the sense of we have this level of excellence that we want to achieve. We have this level of excellence of or expectation, I believe, in how we should operate as a person. And we have that same expectation over somebody else who's either on our team or we're connected to. And it can often fall underneath that level of expectation. And there's this element of gap. Have you read The Gap Versus the Gain? Are you familiar mm -hmm. with that? With I think yes. it's Benjamin Hardy and this morning I had this revelation that because so often we exist in the gap and that gap is the unworthiness. The gap is I'm not good enough. The gap is I'm not rich enough. The gap is you fill in the blank with your, you know, struggle. And I had this revelation that it's less about the gap of us not being able to meet that expectation. And it's more about the fact that our intimacy with God fills the gap. Right. And so the more I come into alignment with who he is, the more I can get ego out of the way, though ego is always present. Um, but I can I can put infuse him and his strength. So he was the best leader ever. If you watch the way Jesus even rebuked, there was elements of rebuke that he had to give the disciples. Sometimes he always did it in love. And that's being an effective leader. And so what question are we asking ourselves that makes us a more effective leader? But simultaneous to that, what are we recognizing as the gap and how can we lean to God for the, the full revelation of that excellence that we're looking to achieve without finding guilt or shame in the fact that we can't do it in our own flesh? You know, I love the way you brought that in. And I'm going to, to share with you something that I've been doing to great success since COVID started, because companies shifted the way that they worked with people. And they had to get a little more creative. Obviously, for the most part, everybody was locked at home. And so Zoom opened up a whole new world. But what I've started doing is working with companies where you create weekly calls or monthly calls. And for anyone listening, I highly recommend you do this. You don't necessarily have to hire me or someone like me. You could do this in your own business. But we would create with either departments or entire organizations, depending on size, we have these weekly calls where we get them to set a personal and a professional goal. And then at the end of the week, we measure whether they achieved the personal or professional goal. And then if they didn't, we ask them what's in the gap. Now, here's where the beauty comes in, because in the gap is where we bring in what is your relationship like with yourself? What is oh, your my. relationship like with God? What is your relationship like with whatever? The, and it starts to become this incredibly beautiful place where people start to get seen. They get to feel valued and appreciated. They become connected to purpose within their life and their business. And when a business is actually supporting the individual, not just the business, the businesses start to thrive. And so the more we focus on the people, and that's why I love the word that you just chose to use to introduce the topic, which was the gap, right? Because every time we do one thing, it's how we do everything. We've heard that so many times. And so if you want to be able to achieve something and you don't, let's say it's go to the gym five days this week and you don't show up. Well, what is in the gap for you in not going to the gym? Where did you not think that you were worthy or your body was worthy, the vessel that you're carrying that you've been gifted to show up so that you can be the best version of it? And all of this starts to uncover these beliefs we have about ourselves or the lack of the beliefs we have about ourselves. And that's also showing up in the boardroom. You know, it's showing up at home in your relationships. And so it is a beautiful, beautiful question to always ask. 
what's in the gap for me? Why didn't I achieve that? You know, if I wanted to do it, I said I'd set the intention for it. I came up with it. Why wasn't I able to? And how is it making me feel? And then here's the really powerful question. When was the last time I felt that way? And then an even better question, when was the first time I felt that way? And you take those three points of reference and you can start to build a case of, oh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't do it because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel worthy because at one point in time, I was told I wasn't worthy. And here I've had evidence of when I wasn't worthy. Well, am I worthy? And then we get to bring in the truth, right? We're all an extension of this incredible, beautiful, powerful force that created the world. And by default, for that reason alone, we are worthy of a perfect, beautiful, happy, healthy body, relationship, bank account, or whatever it is that we want to have to be and to achieve. Oh my goodness. This is this is all book material. This is way more than a podcast, you guys. This is like such a life lesson right here. And I, I think because I exist in like the marketplace, if you will, and, and as do you from a leadership perspective, there's often probably just businesses, right, that are knocking at your door. There's that element, and you've said it twice, and, and it's plastered on our website. It's plastered in, I believe, the best leadership um, trainings. It's the, it's not just professional development, it's personal development. And if we can come into that alignment factor and realize that our presence actually precedes every situation like that chair did for you, like that there was a presence of the Rudy that was sitting in that chair, but there was also the presence of the expectation of Rudy and the promise that God had for you of like, you can go higher. And he knew you sitting in that chair was something you needed to diminish ego and sustain his evidence of your worthiness. And so I, I just hope that people are grasping hold. It's why we do all this stuff for business development. But at the end of the day, my favorite thing that we do is women's retreats because we're like taking away like, just the glitz, the glam, and not to say that there's not fun and, and pampering on them. There are, but I just think that we're so surrounded by so much exterior validation and consumerism that we're not even capable of understanding like the depth of who we are. I feel like we're just distracted by that depth. You know, I think the biggest mistake that people make is to believe that something outside of them, and you said this earlier, and I think it, it serves underlining that people are looking for validation outside of themselves, that validation of, you know, I have to have the good looking husband or the good looking wife, or I have to have the perfect looking family. You know, I've met a number of people in the last two years that have wanted to get a divorce, you know, COVID has forced them in what they question themselves, their lives. And when talking about it. They don't say, oh, I don't want to leave them for this, or I want to leave them for that. They're saying, what are people going to think of me? Their question is, how are people going to judge them? Not about where they're at or what work they could do to create a shift to repair where they're at. And that's a completely different discussion. But we're always looking for outside indicators. And when we turn inward and say, what is it that I can do to set myself up to be the best version of what I can be. And then when I walk into a room as the best version of me, how can I then, you know, impact other people to be the best versions of themselves? I say the greatest leaders are leaders that lead by example. What up, fam? Just kidding. 
But I am taking the line of our next brother, Marcus Black, who I just love so much. I just realized that this is a show of all males. I have a lot of brothers. I love to surround myself with incredible men of God, clearly. And Marcus is no different than that. Since the moment I've met him, I've just been so honored to call him friend and just to witness how the Lord is continuing to evolve him and his family and his mission for people to embrace their ambition. Now, he has a partner in crime when it comes to that particular realm of influence. Her name is Ashley Faye Brandsetter, and sadly, she won't be at the conference with us because her daughter has an incredible cheer competition, and so kudos to all the mamas and dadas out there who are making the dreams of their babies come true while they're also embracing their own ambition and showing how it's done. But Marcus will be in the house, and I cannot wait for him to pour in to our audience in a unique way. He is an author and a motivational speaker. He's won a Cheer Choice Award, which is amazing. He's been featured in lots of top tier magazines and not to blow him any extra smoke or make his head any bigger. But ultimately, I am so grateful that of all the titles he has, it is that he is profoundly standing in the boldness without condemnation of saying that he is a son and a king of the most high kings, right? And so it's an opportunity for you to get your mind blown by someone who has practiced underneath incredible people like Trent Shelton, who has also brought authors to life and other speakers to life. And he just is constantly willing to pour out and to give. And that servant heart is who he is. And it's no facade. It's just truly cultivated by the father. And I'm grateful to know him and grateful to serve alongside him. So you guys tune in, make sure you follow and do all the things when you're listening to each of these people. Okay. If you're listening to the show, tag them, they're going to share it out. If you think that that's like not real, it is. They love you. They love to be in community with people. We're not here to build an audience. We're here to commune with our family. And that is why Marcus Black always says, what up, fam? (laughs) All right, y'all. Tune in. What's crazy is I'm a little bit hard-headed, so I had several shaking moments. So the one you're speaking about now, I actually was driving home. Come on now. I like to drive overnight. I don't know about you guys. And I like to drive overnight because there's no traffic. I don't like traffic. I move with intention. I like to get where I'm going. Maybe it's impatience. But this particular time, I was doing great. I had been driving all night, feeling real good, feeling great. And then it happened. Like I got punched in my head by Mike Tyson, Haymaker. And it was sleep. Like I never felt anything like that. Like it was so heavy on me. And I had been going five hours. I was good. I'm thinking I'm good. The daylight's up now. We're home free. Nope, nope, nope. And the next thing I know, I opened my eyes (laughs) and my entire car was off the highway. Like I was driving down the side of the highway, like half in the grass and like looking at a guardrail and watching my life flash before my eyes. And I could think of a million and one ways right then. I could have, should have, would have been dead. But I corrected. I got back on the highway. I didn't hit the guardrail. I didn't get run over by 18-wheeler. I didn't flip all the things. And then needless to say, I didn't get sleepy again on that journey. But that's a message for somebody because the point is nobody plans. Nobody plans to fall asleep at the wheel. You don't plan to go broke the day you start a career. You don't plan to get divorced the day you say I do. It's a slow fade and it creeps into your heart. And next thing you know, you like the AMC. You're walking did. And I don't want that for anyone. That was me for a long time. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And I think I you kind of process that also through this understanding that asleep at the wheel is like 
this complacency place that a lot of people exist in. It's on that autopilot, right? Of everything is just okay. Everything is just good enough. Not enough to activate you for greatness, not enough to have you in a place of stalemate where you have to do something. And so I think that's so critical to look at the lens like you just exampled, not just in our own personal walks, but the walk in relationships, the walk at work, the walk in parenthood. Like there's so many places where complacency can set in and then that asleep sleep at the wheel or that shaking moment occurs. And I love that you said that there's multiple times. I don't think God ever gets done shaking us. If he does, we're probably in heaven at that point or dead and not in the place we want to be. And so is there other like shaking moments beyond that that puts you into the place now? I want to hear it because I haven't gotten to the other juicy chapters yet. You, you is crazy because you're right there. You're about to hit the one to change the game. And I'm going to tell you, tell it to you right now. But I'll save some of the details so you can enjoy it in the book. Okay, but okay. Here's the thing about shake. I love the way you presented that shaking moment. That's so powerful because we don't even realize that's what we need. Sometimes we get so stuck. We get so stuck in a rut, in a routine, and this is just how it is and how it has to be that you can't see anything beyond it. And you don't know what you don't know. And it takes an outside set of eyeballs, a close friend, a companion, or literally God himself to say, hey, I need to get your attention. It's time for a wake up call. And my, my other wake up call came in the form of another accident. Somebody said, what is it with you and cars? Like somebody sent me that message. It's like, hey, I wasn't driving this time and we didn't fall asleep at the wheel. We had a blowout that literally led to us flying off the highway, 75 miles per hour, Dukes of Hazard style, literally going off the highway, nearing a bridge down into a big ditch, meeting the car spinning. We literally knocking down trees or smacking me in my face. Glasses smacking me in my face. My head is swinging back and forth before, boom, we hit a massive tree and the car scrunched like an accordion and we were trapped. And that was the one that got me because I struggled most of my life with this. And we haven't even gotten to that struggle most of my life with this crippling anxiety. And I know that touches a lot of people. That is a monster that haunts more people than almost any other disease in the world. And I struggle with that starting from age nine all the way up and mine centered around the fear of death and dying, something which I could not control. So I catered my life to it. I was the safest kid. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to ride the bike. I don't want to get in the water. You've learned this about me a little I bit. Did I don't really want to go to the mountain I don't know. I'm good. <laughs> uh, but from all of that, I found myself in that seat off the highway, the car smoking, us balled up, me afraid to open my eyes because I am now thinking my worst nightmare has come true. I am about to die without having ever lived. And spoiler alert, you see my face and I didn't die, but that was the wake up call. That was the moment God was like, all right, you're trying to do this your way. I keep trying to get your attention, but you're not listening to me. So I got to be a little bit more forceful. Maybe this time you'll listen. And I did. That hit my heart because I walked out of that. And everybody who saw the wreckage was like, how does a human not only survive this, walk away from it? Four humans walked away from it, all of which are in ministry now, by the way. Wow. I was just going to ask that. Wow. Again, it's it's this recognizing that the shaking is is critical. It doesn't surpass anyone. Nobody gets the easy way out of this. And yet still people are okay with either staying in that complacency piece or they're expecting their life to have some sort of 
perfection. And I was definitely perfection driven for so long. Um, even experiencing anxiety, I didn't truly know what that was until my shaking moment. Um, and I think again, multiple, right? And so I love for you to just like lean in because I, I do know the premise of that first anxiety attack that you had. How have you since coped with that? Man, I love the question. And there's been a lot of ways I've learned to cope. I've learned some practical ways and I've learned some supernatural, spiritual ways. But if you are a person that's struggling with crippling anxiety and I'll tell you it took over my life. I mean, like I'm not talking about I was nervous. My stomach was turning. No, I mean, I got sucked into a vacuum. I'm hyperventilating. I'm literally taking my place into a grave, literally watching dirt cover me and the life going away from me and feeling like I'm not going to be here. I'm going to cease to exist. And first of all, we got to know. I mentioned earlier, there's an adversary that does not want you to have the abundant life that God created for you. So the first thing is to be alert and aware because those attacks always come when I'm on the precipice of something that God put me in place to do. So there was that. But there's some practical techniques. One is called grounding. If you don't know what that is, it's how you literally tap yourself back into your five senses. So like when I was feeling it's crazy because they used to hit me like regularly, like daily. This was a struggle, even in places like church where you should be feeling great and happy and your soul at peace. No, I was having anxiety attacks because they're talking about heaven. And I'm like, that should be something to rejoice over. But that was killing me. And so I know that I'm speaking to somebody's heart right now because your heart, your struggle. I've had so many people since I've opened up about this tell me they struggle with the same thing. But grounding uses your five senses. So that's like, what do I see? So I literally ask myself the question, what do I see? And I'm saying like, okay, I see colors. I see green. I see yellow. I see brown couches. I see the leather. I see. And as I'm doing that, it's taking my head out of that space. And then what do I smell? And then you touch something. I'm, I'm rubbing the wall. I'm feeling the texture of the wall. You rub your feet on the carpet or the ground. That literally is like a force override to pull you out of this mind space and back into your present reality, which leads me to the next major pivotal piece which is living for the moment right now. This moment is all you have and you got to make it count. And so the greatest way to live in this moment is to practice gratitude because it's almost impossible to live in that state of fear and anxiety when you're practicing gratitude and saying what I'm thankful for, what I'm grateful for, my life, my wife, my health, the things that are around me, my kids, and looking at what I do have versus what I don't. Because that is that puts me in a different mind and heart space. So those things literally start pulling me back. And then those. So what happens is that attacks still come, but they don't last. They used to last like three, five, seven minutes, like crazy. And now that and here's the thing. I want you to know the attacks still come. They just don't last. I'm like 10 seconds and I practice my techniques. I start mm. practicing. Gratitude, I say a prayer is gone. And then now I've noticed this is something, a revelation I just had recently. They were coming like first every day. Then like after years, I kind of learned to get a little grip on it. They were coming like every couple of months. I now can't, I haven't had one this year. And that the revelation that came from that is when your zeal and zest for life and purpose is bigger than your fear, mm. That is the beginning of number one, the abundant life that God promised you. But that is a recipe for killing anxiety because I don't, it's like my brain doesn't even have time to go there because I'm so excited about the purpose and the passion and what I'm walking and impacting, and inspiring and touching people. 
All right, so the first person you're gonna tune into is my brother. I love him so much. His name is Daryl Stinson. He is a multiple TEDx speaker and also has been a host of a TEDx stage in his local town. And obviously, with all of that incredible knowledge, he is a speaker coach. And so if you are looking to grow in your influence of developing your message, showing up on stage confidently, your tonality, I mean, the rhythm, the mood, all the things. He he embraces it all. And he does it with such a sense of boldness. But his one word that I would say is how he has had such impact is through his vulnerability. He is also an author and his book is connected to his testimony of being a near NFL player who got put flat on his back and the struggle of coming out of that in a new identity. And so Daryl's going to come and be one of our roundtable experts. You're going to be able to learn the process in a quick win of how to become a speaker and some sharpened skills that you can hone in on to become the best motivational spirit-led speaker that you know this is what it's like to be a marketplace minister. We're all speakers. So I know he's going to speak life into each and every one of us. I'm so excited for him. Tune into his show here when he was on a couple of years ago, but he's still teaching the same concepts with more wisdom. Let's go. Honestly, perspective is everything. And I know part of that perspective change in your life happened with trials and tribulations, right? It's with the becoming Mm. process. It's with the iron sharpening iron before you knew that iron felt more like a stab in the back and perhaps physically, I know as a part of it with your D1 athletic experience. Um, So I'd love for us to dive in into the place of transition of perspective for you. Um, And I'm sure there has been multiple but I would love wherever you feel led in your testimony to take us to first. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to help me a little bit because I've been on this, like probably about a week, uh, arguably four week uh, reflective period of the way that I think the paradigm shifts that I've had, you know, paradigm shifts are great. And, and until, they start to create a separation from the people that you so desperately want to connect to and reach. And so uh, to put that in a box um, and kind of make that be able to be understood by other people, you know, I, I grew up deathly worried about what people thought about me. You know, in my TEDx talk, I talk about this scene where I'm in the third grade. My mother had put me in accelerated learning classes being from Jackson, Michigan, which is about an hour west of Detroit, that meant that I was one of two black students in an all-white class, which was nothing wrong with this. You know, they're, as far as I know, nobody was racist. They loved me. They cheated off my test. They called me <laughs> they called me goon because I was like this big, like goofy, goony guy. And um, I was one of the smartest kids in the class. Life was great. And I thought that since they liked me, everyone like must I must be like the best thing since sliced bread. And I'm walking down the hallway and I see this group of black students circled together and they're just cracking jokes. And I'm like, man, I'm getting ready to get on the joke. So I walk over to him like, yo, what's so funny? Nobody answered. I'm like, man, I know they heard me. You know, like I'm, I, you know, I was always that kid that was too tall for my age. And I was always the tallest kid in the class. I make a joke every time we take group photos. I'm <laughs> like, nobody knows I have a lower body. It's just floating <laughs> head in every picture since the, you know, first grade. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and so I know they saw me and I know they heard me, but nobody responded. So I'm like, okay. So I spoke up. I'm like, hey, what y'all over there laughing about? And somebody turned towards me and was like, you're what's funny, white boy. 
I'm like, white boy. And I started asking, you know, I'm in third grade. So I started asking around the school, like, why do they call me a white boy? And um, they were like, well, you know, that's kind of what you're called. <laughs> like the whole school, you're known as the black kid that talks and acts white. And I'm like, what? You know, like, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't, really? I, everybody knows this but me, which in the third grade is a terrible feeling, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody, I'm the lap, like I'm a joke to everybody. Mm. I'm just being me. So that created this deep insecurity that who I was authentically wasn't enough to be liked or loved or celebrated by other people. And, and, and so I went on this journey of changing everything about myself to fit in with other people. And, 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 and for me, it was that I, I spoke formally, right? For other people, it's whatever made you not fit in. It's whatever they teased you about. Like nobody wants to be the kid that feels awkward sitting at a table at a lunch table where they, they, they feel like they don't belong. And, and, and so I changed everything about myself to fit in with this black community, with the way that I talk, the music I listen to, all of this. And it worked. They embraced me. Like I got to street cred. I started making decisions, but I did so at a cost of my authenticity and my identity. I didn't know who I was anymore because I was keeping up the charades for everyone else. So you fast forward to through college, through Division One scholarship, through the injury that I had. And you, you can dig into any part of the story you want to, but you get to this point to where now, you know, I, I, I find faith in Christ in a psychiatric care facility and start to realize, like, I don't care what other people think about me because I know what God thinks about me now. So we shift it. And now I'm focused on you know, my true north and the calling of God and the purpose of God. And I'm not even thinking about all other people think like, it's not even like, I don't need, like, I'm, I'm not saying, no, I am saying like, there's such a callousness there. I literally don't care. Now my wife, I care, but anybody, I don't care. Like if you, I love you, Tam, like, but if you were like, Daryl, you know, I don't, you're whatever. <laughs> I'm like, doesn't care. <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> and, 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 and and here's, here's what I meant by paradigm shifts can often create a distance. So I didn't realize this until recently. I've been on this deep kick that although I've went through that transformation, a lot of people still care about what other people think about them. And I forgot about that, you know? So I was being very cold hearted towards people. Like it's even my clients, you know, like, you know, they're, they're, they're worried about sharing their story. They're worried about people judging them. They're worried about people uh, twisting their words. And I'm like, so you have a calling, you have a mission, focus on the people that need to hear it. And I'm not relating enough to them and being like, Hey, I remember what it's like to be uh, shackled by other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, they say what, where I'm from. I don't know if they say this, where you're from, Tamara, but they say, don't forget where you came from. <laughs> they and say I, it. And I did. I forgot. Mm. And um, and now I'm, 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 I'm reflecting and I'm getting better as a communicator and as a leader uh, to be more empathetic to where people are starting uh, because I was there. I was yeah. there. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I was actually having this conversation with my husband this weekend because I was struggling with making a financial decision, another financial investment, right? And we know as entrepreneurs, speakers, artists, sports, like athletes, wherever you are, whatever you do, 
that it takes uh, investments of ourselves. And whether that investment is an investment of time, energy, this was a financial one, I was so uncomfortable to make this decision. And he said, I'm glad you feel that way. I'm really glad you feel that way. And I was like, that's just mean. <laughs> like you could fix the problem or there's another solution, <laughs> but you're letting me sit in this discomfort. And it's because he's older and wiser and he's been through it before, but he said, this is going to help you have empathy for the people that you're going to serve because they too are going to have to invest in you or they're going to have to invest in something else. And so your empathy, you're sitting in that, in the midst of that hard emotion uh, is exactly what you need. And I think, like you said, forgetting where you came from, forgetting when you get so removed from that and you're so confident, confident in, in what it is that he has for you, those that empathy factor can slowly shed. And so I'm curious in, in this process of, of reflection and paradigm shifts and really being present for, so that you can be more present with the people that you get to serve. What kind of methodology are you using to kind of take you back to that experience besides just talking about it like we are now? No, real talk. Like that is the methodology. Um, you know, it's it's the old phrase and I preached it to you that we have two two ears and one mouth. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak and and asking people like I did a live. I think that was last week. It might have been this. No, it was last week. And I just said, look, I'm trying to figure out what's missing. Like, this was my caption. <laughs> you know how usually join me for the master class. You're going to learn these three things. I literally was like, join me because I'm trying to figure out what I'm missing out on. Because here, here, here's my dilemma, okay? And this might be a methodology that, that I do believe in an abundance. And I do believe that there's people who I don't have to convince at all, like, I can find more Tamras to talk to, right? Not that you specifically can be duplicated, but that there's people, high, high achievers, believers that we can dialogue with. In fact, that's probably, you know, why you created your conference. Yeah, you totally. Know, which I heard about through somebody else, by the ah, way. What? I didn't even that hear happened. about it from you. So anyways, <laughs> anyways, uh, we can pick up there later. But, um, and, and, and so I do recognize that I could very well be like, forget it. You know, uh, I'm just going to work with leaders and people in my dream avatar. And I'm not going to try to convince the low, low paint. Like I could easily do that. But in my mind on how do we change the world? The, and and I, I've been using different terminology. I told you I've been reflecting. How do we experience the abundance of the world? And I, and I make that distinction for a reason, because I, I, I was, I will say, I want to change the world. I want to change the world. And I'm like, hold on. We live in a world of abundance. The world doesn't need to be changed. The world has everything we need. There's enough love, enough joy, enough peace, enough laughter, enough money to go around that none of us have to live in lack unless we so desire. And so I don't need to change the world. I need to change the way we see the world. I need to change how we receive from the world. And so, uh, in my, if, in my thought process of how we actually do that, it's when everybody plays their part. It's when everybody fulfills their role. We say your story matters to people. We say you matter to people. We say every person is unique, but yet we don't treat, we don't move through society like that. So, so if that's the case, and I truly believe everybody has purpose, I truly believe like that's how we experience the abundant life of everybody operating in their lane to their full potential then I have to find a way to empower other people who don't think like me. 
Well, we hope each of those incredible golden nuggets allowed you to really understand the breadth of information and application that's going to take place at this conference. We, again, hope and encourage that you will get your ticket today, whether virtual or in person, at thefoundercom.com. I can assure you, whether you're at home and you're bringing people together to experience this or you're fully immersed in Raleigh, North Carolina, you are going to leave forever changed. Last year, we had 13 unexpected baptisms. We had seven supernatural healings. So obviously getting in the room is extra special. We had two marriage proposals that happened that weekend. One unexpected marriage proposal. We had zero idea and it happened on stage. And I've since had the joy of officiating their wedding. And so we cannot wait to celebrate the nuptials of people because this fully immersive opportunity is not just about your business. It's the business of being a kingdom entrepreneur and a legacy leader. And so again, go to foundercon.com, thefoundercon.com. Get your tickets today. If you have any additional questions, you know where to find us. But ultimately, let's show up for one another because together, when we show up as the body of Christ, we operate like-heartedly, like-mindedly, and like-handedly, which you're going to hear more about at the show, then you will understand what it's like to make and be a founder.